Dear bloody blah. I'd like to educate you on a point of law. We're like, this is our guy. And um, eventually, a bit of back and forth thing, but we agreed to dispose of all the shoes. So we had to send, I think we had 400 pairs of shoes. Successes in the Mind is proud to have partnered with and be supported by the Great British Entrepreneur Awards and Community, a programme that recognises, celebrates, supports, encourages and champions entrepreneurs in Great Britain. Hello and welcome to another episode of Successes in the Mind with me, Oliver Bruce. If you're new to the show, we'll be discussing with current owner entrepreneurs, their failures, mistakes, passion and continued persistence in the face of business adversity. Not all entrepreneurs have completed their vision just yet. Some are just starting out. I want to give you a sense of business reality in a world full of idealism. What does it take to become successful, to grow a brand or to start a business? Join me to find out from those that are currently doing just that. So before we get into this interview, you're going to have to excuse um, the technology in the background that you'll hear buzzing and vibrating. Felix very much runs his business from the forefront and is going on holiday the day after this podcast was recorded, so needed to stay online. That said, the interview is a good one. Today, I'm joined by one of the founders of the quintessentially British luxury footwear brand, Fairfax and Favour. Fairfax and Favour, a staple of the What Was Worn column during Cheltenham Race Week, hasn't always been about shoes, handbags and designer caps. In fact, the business was originally set up to, and I quote, provide the most epic bouncy castle experience ever envisaged, which rather ironically is a business where one's shoes are normally supposed to be taken off before usage. Maybe that's what got Felix and Marcus thinking. Let's find out. Felix, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Ollie. Pleasure to be here. No problem. Thank you so much. Um, Bouncy Castles, why? Bouncy Castles was a rogue one. Um, there's a competition down in Norfolk called Huntstanton Tennis Week. And when you're 16, if you like underage drinking, it's the place to go. <laughs> and when we were down there, you, everyone dragged along their younger brothers and sisters, and they've got nothing to do. I mean, underage drinking starts at 18, but 16 was sort of their cutoff. Um, so there was a massive group of like 10-year-olds and stuff, and we just thought, if we've got a bouncy castle, um, we could probably make a bit of money off it. Um, looked into it, did our first probably business proposal project and realised that it wasn't a couple of hundred quid, it was 10 grand. So it didn't go anywhere from there. No, I can imagine. So you went from bouncy castles, you went, you know, from there to, to gun slips. Why, why did you do that transition? Because that's not a logical transition from, from, you know, business one to business two. Uh, I was very fortunate. I have... Um, a Spanish godfather who um, an ex business partner of my dad. And so he is from Spain, loved shooting, had a load of contacts in the leather industry. And he started making gun slips and he was keen for us to sell it in the UK. So we started working off commission. Eventually we decided that it didn't really work having a boss for me and Marcus. Um, so we went our separate ways, carried on the gun slips and quickly found out that gun slips is a very niche market. Um, once you bought one, if it isn't still here in a hundred years, then we've done a bad job. So not many opportunities for repeat business. You went from Gunslips, um, obviously out to Spain, which is where your godfather lives. And I'm assuming that's why you chose Alicante as the place to kind of source, um, the factory, which now obviously produces, um, your shoes. Tell me about that journey. Uh, so originally we were making the Gunslips in Toledo. We quickly realized at Barker that Gunslips were a lovely thing to produce, but they're not the be all and end all. And so slowly started going to shoes, which you're right, was um, 
Alicante, Elche. And from there, have it, Marcus and I decided um, after a pretty intense meeting with my godfather that we're going to go our separate ways. And we managed to muster up between us about four and a half grand, everything we had each. And flew to Spain, flew to Alicante, went to try and find this factory, realized that my pigeon Spanish is actually not very good. Despite spending six weeks in Madrid going to a Spanish school <laughs> and doing GCC and A-level Spanish, my Spanish was truly awful and was not good enough to get us into factory negotiations. Fortunately, when we were in Elche, by complete luck, we ended up at a bus stop standing opposite a university. All right, this is ideal. So we went in there looking for a student who for 50 euros would come and translate for us for the day. Went and asked the receptionist if, if she knew anyone who'd be interested. And she said, he would do it. And we're like, well, fantastic. So Jessica was her name. And she then came with us the next day. The factory sent three cars to come pick us up. Took us up into the mountains. Um, it was a lot further away than we thought. We didn't have enough money for a hire car or anything. So glad they did come and pick us up. We go in there. We pick some shoes. Um, very much were not experts in shoe design. They we just went into their sample room. Bought some ones which looked very similar to Gucci. We're like, that's fantastic. We'll have those. <laughs> we were definitely not experts in copyright. I'll come to that later on. But yeah, well. From, uh, from that, they said, yeah, it's fine. We'll do it. But we want 100% of the money up front, which is, unheard of we've worked many factories now and the idea of giving a new factory 100 percent of the money is just absurd anyway we were naive and we gave them all the money how much was it what was the value i think it was around 10k 10k so you'd saved up four and a half thousand pounds by working in pubs and selling fireplaces to go out there and spend 10 grand which you didn't have and as we had we had saved all that but that was everything that was full white we bought as many shoes as we could with leaving enough money to get back home, which we blew on the first night, actually, so we didn't have much left. <laughs> <laughs> we bought 430 pairs of shoes, um, and they said they would arrive in three or four months, which it's a long time to give someone you've never met before all your money. Anyway, uh, four and a half months come back, Marcus is away in Thailand, and the shoes arrive. And I was like, well, this is great. Where are we going to put it? Um, and we were running our offices from Marcus's house, and he has this attic at the top of that big empty abandoned attic and it's up three flights of stairs and my first real introduction to shoes and what the sort of graft and grind that was going to come ahead was carrying not 430 pairs up but 390 pairs up three flights of stairs <laughs> what do you place now in terms of order volumes Eighty thousand units a year now something like that Brilliant. So, so you've obviously now diversified from, I suppose, shoes from loafers. You had this this legal case. Talk to me about when the Italian firm sued you for essentially just copying their shoe. Well, I think it's um, one step further back than that. Is we bought those shoes off the shelf from a Spanish factory. So, <laughs> so you just rebranded them. We just put our logos in them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we, we, obviously, um, everyone knows Gucci shoes, and the idea that we could sell them. At, wouldn't have occurred to us, I don't think, unless we'd seen them on the um, in the showroom. We're like, this is fantastic. And naturally, people loved the bargain Gucci shoes, which came back to bite us in a big way. I can imagine. How much did it cost you? Do you have to pay the full five? They wanted 100 grand from us. Uh, this is year two. Um, 100 grand from us. They wanted a full-page apology in one of the national newspapers, which would have been like another 50K, I imagine. 
we had to sign everything saying that we'll never go anywhere near. So like the idea of doing anything with a buckle on terrifies us now in case it resembles Gucci. The, the lawyer bit of this is my favorite. We, we received this email, a 92 page document on Friday. And I was like, Marcus, we've got a problem. Everything that's going through your head about Gucci, no, it's a massive company coming after us, going to kill our dream year two. Um, so eventually we got hold of a local lawyer in Swaffham, uh, not called Mark, we call him Mark. And Mark offered to pay them something like 40 quid a pair. And the cost price was around 40 quid anyway. So right. obviously totally unacceptable to us. Um, um, bankrupt us. Yeah, I can imagine. Very, very fortunate. My, one of my dad's friends was down for the weekend. I was talking to him and he happens to be a QC lawyer. And he's like, I will, um, I will send one email, but I, there's no way you can afford my time. But I'll send them one email. So you've got it coming from like someone who looks like they can put up a fight and hopefully not expose how empty our bank account was. <laughs> and he sent an email. And one of the, his opening point um, to the guy over at Michigan was, dear bloody blah, I'd like to educate you on a point of law. We're like, this is our guy. And uh, eventually, a bit of back and forth thing, but we agreed to dispose of all the shoes. So we had to send, I think we had 400 pairs of shoes, which was probably, I know, 40% of our stock holding at the time. It was really painful. So we decided like we cut them with scissors and dodgy places and we mixed pairs. That's what made me laugh when I saw that. The fact that you mixed the pairs, they weren't the same sizes in any other box. They must have did you hear from them again? <laughs> I, I followed I followed it up a few times. Um because I still email them and if anyone from Gucci ever listened to this, I'd love to know how you see so many other companies um selling snaffle bit loafers. Um you see them everywhere. And is there a rule for some or, or rule, uh, who's the rule applied to? And I've, I've emailed them, them a few times. Because Russell and Bromley do those types of loafers as well, don't they? 100%. Loads of other companies do. And I've emailed them asking them if it's okay for them, I, we're, we intend to bring, um, bring our shoes back so they can sell us. And I've sent letters back from the lawyer saying I would not touch it if I were you. I mean, yeah, it'll just open up a can of worms. Although quite good fun. I remember the time when I was at uh, uh, I, I was I was at university and I went to another university freshers and I gate crashed it. And it's similar to this story in as much as they banned me for doing absolutely nothing wrong. And I look back now and anyway, I'm going to go meet this uh, the old principal of this university in a few weeks' time. Little does he know. And I'm tempted to say to him, do you remember banning me from that university? We're now actually working together. And I do wonder what he'd say, but I do think sometimes it's better just to keep quiet. We learned our lesson with that. Um, and it's actually, it was one of the best lessons we've learned because from there, we then really focused on um, the integrity of our brand and protecting um, our products and paying attention to trademark, trying to steer clear of further disputes. So obviously everyone looks everywhere for design inspiration, but do not copy. You had a bit of a breakthrough moment when, I suppose, was it you and Marcus that came up with the Regina boot? Because that really, I suppose, propelled you into, I suppose, what Fairfax is is now. Because all the girls, my girlfriend constantly goes on about it, have Regina boots. I've not met a single one that doesn't. Talk to me about um, who came up with that idea. The Regina boot is um, based on a Spanish riding boot, which is as common as a brogue from Northampton. You, we still have the original boot we started with. It was clumpy. It was short. Um, thick sole. Very ugly. It's like calling a penny loafer a penny loafer. There's different types. So what we did is we narrowed it. We we made it very tight fitting. So you've got the nice silhouette, um, which is hopefully fairly iconic to us. The huge problem with going for a narrow 
narrowing the boots. Obviously, it affects the calf, and so many people have um, different calf widths. So we developed a way of putting elastic into the back of the boot, which was hidden and discreet, which gives it an extra five centimeters. And we got all this feedback from Marcus and I just being out on the show circuit and seeing them not fit. And when you see a problem every single day up close, your mind is just thinking, how do we fix this? How do we fix it? If only we had this. And we're like, how do we get elastic in there? It's got to be some elastic in there. We put elastic in. Um, we have stockers. They all hated the idea. They were like, never going to stock it. We're like, well, we're going to do it. Um, put the elastic in. Suddenly our fit, I reckon we went fitting 60% of the people to being able to fit about 70, 80. Wow. And the flat Regina, which was what we call it, uh, if you say a flat Spanish riding boot, it's always been flat. And we're like, well, why don't we put a heel on it? And so we put a heel on it. Um, we've already talked about the narrowing bit. Finally, we're like, wouldn't it be cool if those tassels could change? Yeah. And so we've developed a system and we were the first people to invent, which I don't know if it's a term, uh, but we definitely use it every day now, is it the interchangeable tassel. I think that would be a- Just be careful with that because it might be copyrighted, Felix. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's genius though, the interchangeable tassel, because you know, I constantly see it pop up multiple different colours. And you did a campaign for breast cancer awareness week, I believe, whereby what was it you raised nearly £100,000 by releasing these pink tassels. Without a doubt, the thing we're most proud of is um, what we've done We've raised over 100 grand for breast cancer care over the years, but this um, April, when when everyone went into lockdown, mm-hmm. we got 10% of our online sales to the NHS charity, charities together, and we're like, we'll bring a tassel through and, and and limited edition caps where we gave all the profits to the NHS charities together. Genius. And in total, so far, we're still selling them, but the, the donation we've already given, we'll give more when we sell the rest of the tassels. It's 105,000 pounds. That's fantastic. That's incredible. And when does that campaign stop? When we run out of tassels. Hopefully there's no second wave. No, well, quite. I saw on the Just Giving page, we are the ninth highest fundraiser for the NHS Charities Together for COVID, behind number one being the legend Captain Sir Tom. Yeah, exactly. He's an absolute trooper. No, that is an incredible feat. And I suppose it's, it's that kind of entrepreneurial pivoting, I suppose, which, which has done you guys so well. But going back to um, the event scene when you first started, because you guys, similarly to me, started in 2013, and we've both been to the Game Fair on many, many occasions. And was that kind of, I suppose, the key to market, going to these events and seeing people and selling face-to-face? Because now so much of it's done online, but you still maintain that kind of point-of-sale, face-to-face interaction. For sure. Uh, well, two things going to shows is people going to the shows generally are in a buying mood, especially somewhere like the Game Fair or but They are going to buy something there. So it's not like you see an advert on, on Google or something and you might buy it. Like People are in a shopping frame of mind. And both Marcus and I were, what, 21. Everyone was at uni. Um, so we were stuck in Norfolk, both living at home. And we're like, let's go out on the show circuit. And we end up doing quite well sales, partying way too hard, working definitely in um, conditions which would be unadvisable for people. <laughs> you were banned, I can't remember if it was 2015 or 2016, but, you know, Dubarry were known for having massive marquee parties. You guys had an incredible marquee party and you're no longer allowed to. Was that just, you know, was that the turning point where you thought, actually, we need to be more professional or do you still have a lot of fun with what you guys do? Uh, we have a, a lot of fun. Um, I think we just had a product strategy day yesterday and the key thing that hasn't changed since the beginning is we have to have fun with what we're doing. Fun is key for us. So 
you know, at what, at what point, obviously, did you guys start to actually turn a profit, start to make money? Because you invested your 10,000 and you only got some of the shoes that you ordered. You then had a lawsuit. You must have been losing money hand over fist. When did you guys start to take a salary? We started taking salary probably year two, but not much, like 50 quid a week. Marcus and I have also been pretty good at going to get sales independently. If I don't know, I sold to my aunt or whoever who came around to my house. We always made a deal that we would split 10% of the sale that each of us do personally. So some people win some week, Mugs might win one week, I might win the other, but we'd all benefit from having a bit of extra cash. Because you guys have obviously, you pivoted massively into B2, um, sorry, into, into e-commerce. That was a, a major point because you tried to obviously sell um, to wholesale when you when you first started. You sold 80, 90 quids worth of, of shoe, of booze. But, but now obviously you're online. Um, that is revolutionary because you can sell anywhere in the world to anybody. Was that a changing point? Online has always been our key focus since the beginning. Show were probably the fastest growth channel because to get established online without doing something like the shows or going to do lots of pop-ups, you need amounts of cash to advertise, which we didn't have. So we, we've grown over the seven years organically. We've turned a profit every year. And the transition to online was always going this way, but COVID has 100% knocked it forward. I reckon about five years. And that's where our entire focus. So when we do a product, when we're deciding on a strategy, like free gift with purchase, whatever, it always has to point back to does it benefit online? And I suppose over COVID, you guys have seen, as you said, a massive increase. Have you seen that continue or do you think that's going to plateau? No, I think it's going to continue. And the only other thing which we've noticed is because people get so excited about going to Burley or the game fair, they delay their purchase they're going to make because they want to go to Burley and they want to buy something at the stand. Because there's been no Burley, people are like, why? I'll get it now. And I might get the handbag because I don't have to carry it. The older people who were averse to online at the beginning of this, they now, is their now beginning point, normally Amazon. Really? Really? Are you because do you guys sell on Amazon or not? We're not on Amazon at the moment uh, in the UK, but we're looking at going on Amazon in Europe. Oh, okay. Okay, that makes sense. I mean, that's a massive, massive market for you guys. And I suppose for every every shoe you sell, every person that follows you on social media, quite a nice thing that you guys do. I don't know if you still do do it, but you allow your fans to kind of have an input into what the, the shoe, the handbag, the name of the product is going to be. Have you got any products in the pipeline that you're uh, looking to launch? Yeah, I don't know when this is going live, but product which we're really, really excited to launch is we're doing these incredible downfill puffer jackets. And it's a completely new product category for us, but a lot of time and effort has gone into them and they look incredible. They're a very, very fair, good price. So we're crossing our fingers, but I think they should be quite popular. Yeah, that sounds that sounds awesome. And, and recently, you'll have probably read in the news that, you know, Ben from Gymshark has obviously valued his business at over a billion quid. Jade Holland Cooper is obviously going from strength to strength. You guys are now going into, into sort of puffer jackets to a certain extent. Are you guys going into more of a clothing world because of the way that the market and the industry seems to be going from a valuation and, uh, and sort of growth point of view? Two things. Obviously, we do a photo shoot, and so we have to use a lot of other people's clothes for that. And if, imagine you're taking a pair, a picture of a lady in some driving shoes. It's about a tenth of, of the size of the picture, and so everyone's looking at the clothes. So we've always wanted to work on a way of getting more products higher up, sunglasses being the obvious one, but I think it's too far for us to go into sunglasses. And so that's why we went into handbags, because people, they were buying their boots because it matched their handbag, or they were going to buy a handbag because it matched their boots. We're like, well, we should do handbags. And then we've always given our show team puffer jackets, and they were branded Fairfax and Favour on the back. And one of the highest search 
terms in our website is for the puffer jackets which you can't buy and we're like we should do them <laughs> i mean they would look great and they do look great when you guys are when you guys are on site and when are they actually launching uh november Going back to our first podcast, which we released with Harry Hugo from the Goat Agency, you guys have grown based on the influence of world to a certain extent with the likes of people from Made in Chelsea and all these sort of reality programs wearing wearing your clothes. Is that a key marketing strategy for you guys? Uh, it's part of it. The biggest and the most successful part of our marketing strategy has been to make it more customer focused. So right. we try to use customer generated images so people go out on the weekend and have a great time tag us in um, their pictures and we use real pictures of people hopefully they're good pictures and people who submit their entries get put into customer month so one of the most votes wins 500 quid a month so people actually put a bit of time and thought into getting the images i don't know if you've seen um our fairfax and favor club members group on facebook yeah you put me in it i'm, I'm in it it's uh, yeah lots of posts lots of photos Lot, lots of photos so that has probably been one of the best things we've done so we've we've got i don't know 100 thousand followers on instagram facebook but we wanted to make more core like best customers not necessarily in terms of how much they're spending in terms of how much they uh, like the brand very friendly group and anyone listening particularly if you're a lady i would recommend checking it out so i mean for somebody starting a business someone starting a business and they're going into manufacturing or they're going into creating a, a product a b2c product i know you guys obviously had connections out in spain but how do i do it if i've just left university and i want to go and sell jackets or, or caps or hats or whatever it is what would you give to me as a piece of advice i would say uh, it's great having a business partner because say i went by myself to spain i wouldn't want to put four and a half thousand by myself you've taught yourself out of it but both me and us were talking we're like cool let's do it and you so all the good things that you have when you're business partners is fantastic but it's even more important for the bad ones like the gucci things just someone who because you can talk to people but they're not involved it, it's an opinion you don't really trust them but when you've got a business partner it affects them as, if, as much as it affects me so it, it's um i rec i strongly recommend finding someone you work well with and how do you go about sourcing i suppose the factories then because i'm sure that the jack the, 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 the factory that's going to make your gilets is going to be a totally different factory to, to the one that makes your handbags so how do you go about finding them we work with we've got really talented lauren in-house designer but we work with quite a lot of freelance designers as well but naturally, the freelance designer, so your handbag designer, can recommend where she's made bags before. So you just pick it up. And the other way of doing it is, go, is LinkedIn is so useful. It's going to LinkedIn and just search for handbag manufacturers. If you spend an hour, you'll find one. You'll find some better than others, but most, most factories are on LinkedIn. So social media is a massively important uh, way, I suppose, to start a business from a connection point of view. You guys obviously bankrolled it to a certain extent. You put, you put 4,500 uh, in, into it. Did you ever at any point have to look for private investment or getting people to fund you? Or did you just do it based on the success and organic growth? We've always done it on organic growth. Um, what I was saying earlier, like advice to a young person would be stay at home for as long as you can. Live with your parents. Don't pay yourself too much. Keep all the money you can in the cash. Reinvest in product. You should be getting three times the return on each product. And then you enjoy it a bit later. But the first two, three years are so key to keep as much cash in the company as possible. Well, well, cash is king. And don't prop up the bar. Don't spend the money uh, on the town. Which brings me on to the fact that I've obviously got these Bruce beers, which I sent you a photo of earlier. So I'm going to put two of those in the post for you guys next week. So they'll arrive when you're back from... You're going to Mallorca, you say? I'm off to Mallorca, yeah. 
Look, we'll send us a selfie and, uh, and, and I'll have a look at those when, when they come in. But look, Felix, Maisie, thank you very much um, for dialing in. I can't actually end this interview without asking you for a cap because I've lost my recent one. Are you able to put one in the post for me? Yeah, 100%. You're an absolute trooper. That's, that's superb. Well, anyway, Maisie, thank you so much um, for joining us. And uh, yeah, and good luck with, uh, with your new gilets that are launching in November. Thank you. Puffer jackets. Puffer jackets. Sorry, not gilets. Puffer jackets. Not sure we're allowed to call them puff jackets. I think that might be another brand. <laughs> there's, a, there's a follow-up podcast on on lawsuits with Fairfax and Favour. Only advice would be that was is try and avoid them at all costs. <laughs> on that note, we'll end. Thanks very much, Felix. Thank you very much, Joy. To learn more about the Fairfax and Favour journey and to purchase any of the items and more discussed on this podcast, head over to fairfaxandfavour.com and before you check out, enter the discount code exclusive to this podcast, FFPOD2020, and enjoy 10% off. This discount code will only last until the end of September. Don't say we don't look after our listeners. For those of you that are on Facebook, and I'm sure the majority of you are, head over to our newly launched Facebook page at Success Is In The Mind Pod, where you can keep up to date with guests coming up, guests gone by, as well as photos and images from people who have enjoyed the Bruce beer, which we send out after every interview. Let us know what you think. Join me next week, where we'll be discussing more about the failures, mistakes, passion, and persistence with another inspiring owner-entrepreneur who is currently in business. Thanks once again for listening. Take care. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this program, then please show your support by subscribing via Apple Podcasts and all other major podcast streaming services. Why not share it with at least three friends? And of course, make sure you tune in next week. I'd love to hear your thoughts on the show. Contact me via Twitter at OliverBruce underscore biz or via LinkedIn at Oliver Bruce Online. Thank you.